Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I am so thrilled to have this conversation come to your earbuds. This is Gavin Adams this week. He is the lead pastor of Woodstock City Church, formerly Watermark Church, has been there for a number of years and just seen explosive growth. And it's actually, I think right now, the fastest growing campus at North Point. I mean, they've got over 8,000 people coming on a weekly basis, which is crazy. And Gavin's been leading exceptionally. However, I caught him at the tail end of a 30-day sabbatical. I mean, he was tired from leadership. And we had talked for a while before the mics, you know, were on. And then and then we just had a totally like, you know, not that any of this is scripted, but like we just hadn't planned to talk about his sabbatical and everything he learned. And we did. So the first part of this conversation is just amazing. Gavin, thank you for your authenticity, your openness. So appreciate it. So excited to bring you this conversation. And also, um, hey, here's what I'm going to do today. I love connecting with you guys. So I'm going to give you the cities because a lot of you are asking, are you in this city? Are you in that city? I'm going to show you where I'm going to be speaking on the Orange Tour this fall. And want to thank the Orange Tour for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. But I'm going to be in Atlanta, Georgia just outside of Los Angeles, California in September, also in Denver, Colorado, never been to Denver. So that's going to be a lot of fun. That's September. Oh, and one more in September, Richmond, Virginia, if you're anywhere near Richmond. In October, I'll be in Morgantown, West Virginia, Indianapolis, Indiana, Memphis, Tennessee, Austin, Texas, and Dallas, Texas. And then in November, Charlotte, North Carolina, and Ocala, Tampa, Florida. That's where it wraps up. You can get all the details at orangetour.org. I hope you're coming. We're going to talk about how to influence the next generation. And I'm going to be talking about how to manage your time, energy, and priorities. Get those all working on your side as I sort of introduce a new resource that I'm kicking off this fall called the High Impact Leader. So I'm going to be talking about that. It's going to be super exciting. If you're anywhere near those cities, make sure you check us out. You can still register. There's still a bit of space on the Orange Tour. Just go to orangetour.org. Also want to thank Enjoy Stewardship Solutions. Man, I'll tell you, I talk to so many pastors and leaders who are just stuck financially. And if that's you, I can't recommend Enjoy Stewardship enough. They helped us tremendously. They actually helped us get into our new building last year, uh, raise the money for that. And, you know, the reality is people want to give to a good cause. You just have to figure out how to make those conditions happen and enjoy stewardship solutions really, really helped me with that. Uh, the other thing that we've partnered with them on is the financial learning experience. That's something Joe Sangle, the president and CEO offers. And I got to tell you, that has helped people so much. You want to check it out. It's all at enjoystewardship.com. What the financial learning experience is, is you actually walk the people of your church through basic budgeting. And I mean, it's really basic, but so powerful. And, you know, now we've got literally hundreds of people at our church who are paying cash for their vacations, who are saving for their kids' college funds. I mean, it's amazing. And we've run teenagers and young adults through this. And, I mean, they're buying less car than they might have otherwise and living in a house they can afford and things like that. I got to tell you, the life change that happens, and of course, when they have more margin, it's easier to live on missions. So, I mean, everybody wins. You got to check this stuff out. Just go to enjoystewardship.com. Make sure you do that. And without much further ado, here is my conversation with Gavin Adams. Gavin, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, it is so good to have you. And and I said to you a few minutes ago, the reason I started this podcast was because of all the offline conversations that were so much fun. And you and I just had a 30-minute offline conversation that I said to you at the end yeah. of it. Should have had the tape rolling. But <laughs> you're finishing Thanks. up a sabbatical, right? Yeah, it was a little therapeutic, the first 30 minutes for me. It was so good, man. It's just, really? just friends connecting. So. You're a philanthropist for the 30 minutes. So. That was good. <laughs> well, yeah, a lot no, cheaper I, than a real therapist, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, the pretend ones are always better. Not, no, not, uh, not nearly as good. Nope, nope. Uh, you're I'm, you're uh, finishing up a 30-day yeah, sabbatical. Said, 
yeah, coming coming off of a, a one month kind of sabbatical, never had thought about doing that before, and uh, but it was super helpful. And um, I mean, every leader knows. I mean, it's just draining, and uh, leading anything is draining. Um, mm-hmm. And leading in a church or spiritual context has a little additional kind of drain to it. I've done a little bit of marketplace leadership as well, so you know, this is just different. And um, so after seven and a half years of running 100 miles an hour, decided it may be time to deal with some emotional things and get a little more healthy for this next season. So it's been a fun, it's been a hard, but a very fun month. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. So you preach Sunday for the first time in a yes. while. Preaching obviously- Sunday for the first time and, and actually first time in a while. And uh, so I'm excited. I, I feel like I'm going to talk a hundred miles an hour for the first five minutes. I'm so amped up to be back on the stage, but um, I'm really looking forward to it. In fact, I, I'm actually a little nervous about it because again, first time is always a little nervous to be back, but um, I'm a little nervous because I just feel so different and I don't know if it'll come across in the crowd. I don't know if people will, um, sense that there's a difference there, there will be. Um, what's what's the a, difference for you? How do you feel different after 30 days off? Well, I feel very rested. Hmm. Uh, I've had a lot of fun. Um, that was my, that was my, my counselor and chiropractor both said my, my prescription for the month was to have fun. So did you have to schedule that in like I was? No, I I tried to be as unscheduled. In fact, I had some of the best advice about Sabbaths, which sabbatical, I guess, is a a longer version, right? And and they said the the goal of the Sabbath isn't not to do anything. It's just not to have a deadline when you do it. Hmm. So I've tried to... I've tried to do a lot, but just do it without deadlines and, 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 and not have to be somewhere else in the next hour. And I love to play tennis, but you know, I, I felt like I could go play tennis. And if we played for an hour or two and a half hours, it didn't matter because I didn't have to be out and showered for a meeting. So, so are you driven enough like me? You're bringing back this, this image of me driving by just this random subdivision. And there's like two people sitting on the front porch in mid-afternoon having a drink. And yes. I was so wound up that day that I'm like, how on earth could any human being be sitting out on their porch in the middle of the afternoon having a drink? Like, don't you know there's all this stuff to do? And I'm like, holy cow, I am like this bag of mess. Oh, dude. I, like that? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm so jacked up when it comes to that. <laughs> I, I, I spent the first week uh, just trying not to like sabbatical well, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to win at sabbaticaling, you know? Uh, and so, um, it took me a week to just relax and, um, and you know, that it's like you go on vacation with your family and by right. the time the vacation ends, you actually start vacationing. Mm-hmm. So the first week was a little bit tenuous, just forcing the issue, but the rest of it has actually been really healthy. And I've spent more time, just having conversations with friends and and being relational without a without a purpose without a without a goal. Um, spent three hours this morning at a coffee shop with a friend for the first hour and a half, and then the next hour and a half as people came in who I knew, just enjoying time um, with them. And that is not that has not ever really been in me to think that way, to live that way. It's very difficult in our jobs to kind of just take three hours, but relationships are so vitally important and they take time and they kind of seem to happen in the margins. Right. And, uh, I've lived for a long time without a lot of margins. And Hmm. so, um, this month has taught me a ton. That's one of the things for sure. It's funny. We preach it, don't we? But (laughs) we don't often practice it. I'm really good at preaching what needs to be done and terrible at applying it personally. So, (laughs) but that's good. It keeps giving me material to preach about. So, so, like, is there like a Gavin 2.0 that's sort of coming out of all that? I sure hope so, because because 1.0 was so tired. Um, yeah, I think there is. Hmm. I don't know what it. I don't know exactly what it looks like yet, though, Carrie. Okay. I, I'm still. Um, you know, I, I feel like it's easy as a leader to know that there's something that needs to be unearthed, and so um, during the very few moments of negative space that I typically have had, I would take a maybe a garden spade and do some digging. So I feel like what I've done this month is taking a, um, you know, massive backhoe to my heart and <laughs> dug and dug and dug. And so I found a lot. I just am not quite sure exactly how it all will get replanted and what it's going to look like. Um, but I can feel it in my spirit that it's just different. 
and hmm. it's more at peace and it's more at rest and it's more okay with everything not having to be so progress oriented all the time and um, and everything not having to be so driven all the time. You know, I appreciate that. And, and I joke to you that I may, you know, I may have to redo all my questions because we're going to talk about, you know, the massive exponential growth curve your church is on and yeah. the whole deal. And, and <laughs> I'm like, all of us driven people, right? We're, we're, we're good for churches and sometimes we're bad for churches. Sometimes we're good for our marriages. Sometimes we're not good for our marriages. And yet somehow God's in the middle of this. It's not like God didn't use you or, you know, we were talking about sort of when I went through some of the things that you might be, you know, analogously going through now. In my case, it was 10 to 13 years ago uh, when I first started to see a counselor and God started to open up my heart and the whole deal. But like, it's not like God took that first decade of leadership and said, oh, that was all garbage. And, you know, he didn't. He worked in you, but he's just going to redeem what's there perhaps in a more you know, I don't know, sanctified way. Maybe this is what the ancients called sanctification. It's, it is, and it's progressive. So mm. uh, it, it is amazing, as I've, I have thought a lot this month about the church that I get to lead and, and, and kind of where God has brought us and what he's done here. And in a real way, I can look back and go, wow, completely in spite of me. And in spite <laughs> of my motives not being always that pure. And, and in spite of the fact that my kingdom mattered a little too much from time to time, yet he still allowed through all that ickiness to do amazing things. That, that is, if nothing else, to me, another one of those proof that God exists moments, right? So. Hey, are you, are you comfortable talking about like ungrieved losses? Because you and I talked about yeah. that before we went on the air. And it's something yeah. that was really huge in my life that I don't, I've talked about it publicly before when I've talked about this, but I don't, and I've written about it on my blog, but like I've never really had a conversation with another leader who sort of discovered this at, at the same time. So talk about ungrieved losses and what you've learned. Yeah, sure. It, it, and I'm still learning. It's so fresh for me. So, sure. you know, the idea, though, is that when we don't grieve things well, we don't bury it well. And, and, and when I hear about grieving, I, I tend to always think, especially as a pastor, I think about funerals and I think about death of, right. of friends and loved ones. But, you know, it's kind of opened my eyes to the fact that um, a loss of any kind is still a loss. And a loss of any kind needs to be grieved. So the loss of a relationship, the loss of an opportunity, the loss of a career, uh, the law, I mean, any, any kind of loss. Um, and, and, and some that even seem silly yet are really still losses are important to be grieved because everything mm-hmm. that's a loss has to be grieved. And so kind of the, the thing that I, I learned was when we grieve a loss well – we're able to bury it well, and it can rest in peace because it was grieved. Um, but any loss that is ungrieved still gets buried because burial isn't an option. So <laughs> a, a loss is going to be buried. But if it's an ungrieved loss, it's buried alive. And as we all know, I mean, The Walking Dead has taught us nothing else, that anything that comes back from the ground doesn't come back out as nice as it went in. <laughs> it's and angry. <laughs> it's angry. It comes back angry. And, and in fact, in a really weird way for leaders, I mean, I have to imagine every single person is being driven by something in this regard, that there's ungrieved losses that are impacting us today. And we don't know what it is. We just know there's something wrong in our heart. Hmm. Odds are there, there's some ungrieved loss in there and it manifests in weird different ways. And you can't necessarily connect the dot, you know, between 42 year old leader who has this unbridled enthusiasm for striving and winning. How do you connect that back to being 14 and something happened to you in athletic competition that was a loss mm-hmm. and you didn't grieve it? This is, you know, hypothetically, if this, you know, this is me, by the way. So <laughs> hypothetically, uh, speaking about if a friend. someone were to yeah. at 14 experience a, a loss um, uh-huh. and at 42. So, so can you say like what happened when you were 14? Oh, yeah. No, I, I, you know, I played basketball my whole life. It was my life. I was a really short little white kid, which was a bad choice on my part, but it was. And so mm-hmm. I loved basketball. Made uh, made the team as a ninth grader on a JV team, um, changed schools as a 10th grader and thought, oh, well, certainly I'll make this team. And I didn't. Hmm. And, and after, you know, a process of five or six cuts on the team, I was the very last person cut on the last night of tryouts. And 
a week later, I was so mad about it. I went in and the coach told me, you're new to the school and these other kids aren't new and you may be better than they are, but I don't know you. And by the way, these other people commit to the booster club a little bit more. So I'm going to have them on the team, not you. Well, (laughs) I felt so unjustly treated. Now, the reality is that I wasn't going to be a star. I probably wasn't going to start ever. I may not have even played, but it just felt so unjust. And so I, you want me to tell you the whole thing? It's so silly. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. That year, 14 years old or 15, almost, I guess at this point, 15, I, I joined the rec league team. I averaged 27 points a game that year in the rec league out of spite and out of anger. Wow. There was nothing good about it. Every coach I played against asked me after the game, why are you not playing for the school? And Hmm. I said, you should ask them that question. (laughs) Wow. But I was so angry and my natural competitive spirit combined with that experience just drove me. And, 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 and so the next two years, the high school coach, the varsity coach asked me to try out. I told him, no, I basically was like, screw now you. you can't get me. Yep. Yeah. Too I'm bad like, you had your chance. Yeah. But what really I was feeling was don't you dare put yourself in a position to be rejected like that again, hmm. because sometimes you may lose even when it's not your fault and you may be treated unjustly. And so I, at 15, developed um, what a professional counselor would probably call a um, internal vow. And the vow that I began at 15 to live out of was winning at all costs matters more than anything. Hmm. And don't you dare put yourself in a position where losing may be possible. Wow. So in a horribly kind of um, uh, internal battle for 25 years, I've kind of unknowingly lived out of that ungrieved loss. Wow. And so as a leader, you know, God is amazing in the redemption business. So he's done some unbelievable things and the places where I've got to serve and, and, and lead and in this church we're in now. And, um, but a lot of it was driven out of some really impure motivation and, and, and out of wanting to win and be the best and wanting to look better and wanting recognition for things. And, and I think God the whole time just looked down and thought, oh, my gosh, Gavin, I, I, I want you to experience freedom and you're not experiencing it because hmm. you're because you're just living out of slavery to something that you don't even know about yet. But by the way, I'm still going to redeem it and I'm still going to change people's lives through it. But I wish you could figure this out because it will change your life when you do. So that was like the the big backhoe of digging that happened to my heart this this month so far. Wow, that's and huge. I don't even fully know what to do with it yet. I just know that um, Pete Wilson, who's a you know hmm. fantastic pastor in Nashville, and um, I saw a quote by him one day, and he said, if your past is still affecting your present, it's really not in your past. Hmm. And I wrote it down, and I thought, that means something. I don't even know what it means yet, but it means something to me. And of course, a few months later, I bump into this sabbatical month where it really began to mean a lot to me. And I realized... And I think I'm just scratching the surface still, but I realized that there is so many things that I do day to day where the motivation is to win and be better. Hmm. And it's hard to do anything that way. Um, Now, luckily, God redeems it all. But Carrie, I mean, imagine preaching and half the half of your thoughts preaching are. I wonder what the people think of me. I wonder if I'm better than the people they heard last week. Yeah. Am I funny? Am I interesting? Yeah. I mean, it's not like there's any competition at North Point Church in terms of communication <laughs> and preaching. It's not like, and listen, Andy would never do that. But I mean, nope. gosh, you're surrounded by great communicators. Oh, yeah, we are. And and I am infinitely better because of that. And in mm-hmm. a real, you know, the people that I feel this non um the, pe- the people that I, I in, in a way, almost compete with, even though they don't know it, are the ones who have made me better anyway. Yeah. You know, it, it's it, it. But, you know, come on. We I feel like we all on some res- levels, probably not as bad as me. Mo- most people are probably more healthy, but there's a there's unhealth in all of us on some level. And I just determined that it wasn't worth being emotionally unhealthy anymore. And it was going to take some really hard work and I was going to have to admit, admit and, and, and deal with some really gross things. But I'd rather do that at 42 than 72. And, yeah. I'd, and I'd, rather, I'd rather figure all of that out now so that 
the rest of my tenure, however long God has me in these positions, I can do it in the way that I think he designed me to do it and, and still be me, but just be a way better version of me. See, this uh, is really interesting because one of the questions I get, we've had a number of guests on the podcast and I've talked about it before. I read a recent review on iTunes that said, Carrie talks about burnout a lot. It's like, yeah, I know. But, um, <laughs> so let's do it again. <laughs> but one of the questions is, do you have to burn out to learn all this stuff? right? Do you have to burn out to learn all this stuff? And what I love about your story is you didn't quite burn out. You were tired. You were, you know, maybe frustrated, but like you called an audible. Yeah. You know, you went directly from a seat of leadership and we have a mutual friend who did that recently as well. You took 30 days to look inside. You didn't, you know, you haven't cheated on your wife. You didn't take money that didn't belong to you. You didn't buy a sports car. You didn't develop an addiction. Like you're just like, okay, I better look inside. I tell you what though, Carrie, yeah. I, I, I saw for the first time more clearly how all of that can so easily happen though. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're in pain, the desire for relief can be stronger than the results that the relief may bring. Mm-hmm. And I think so often pastors, even knowing what the consequences are, prefer a moment of relief over the possible consequences that it may incur. Interesting. Say more. And I felt some of that. Yeah. Like, and mine was expressed more through, you know, let's go eat junk food. You know, like I, <laughs> I, I love to work out and play tennis and, and, and be healthy. And um, I didn't lose all of that. But the last several months, I'm like, why do I want candy so much? Like, <laughs> I can't get enough bread. Like, what is that? You know? Yeah, and, it, and that's better than drugs, but still. It totally I is, but it's mean. from the same heart. It's from the same place. And, yeah. and I just wanted relief. Mm-hmm. And see, for me, it would it would manifest itself probably in ice cream rather than bread, yeah. but I get that. And, yeah. you know, or, or it would be like, I just got to cut that lawn one more time or wash that car one more time because it's got to be perfect. And, you know, our drive comes out. And isn't, isn't it an amazing credit to me? Because, you know, if there's any leaders listening who are like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm not there. It's like, I don't know what to say. I mean, I just think these are things we all struggle with and there are leaders who are aware of it and leaders who are not. But, you know, the reality is God's used your first, you know, your last 25 years in leadership. And I don't know what's going on in heaven, but my guess is God is going, oh, this is, this is kind of cool. Look at, look at Gavin. Look at what he's going through right now. Look at, look at rather than running away from me, he's running to me. Uh, look at how yep. he's looking for a story of redemption. Look at how he's saying, I'm still in this, but I, I really want to make sure now that I'm aware of this, that my heart is 100% pure. And I think this kind of internal journey, you know, dead serious, I think it's the difference between leaders who make it over the long haul and leaders who don't. I if think you you're don't, right. You think so too? I do. And you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about you know, in reading the Bible a lot, obviously this month, just kind of <sighs> trying to process in different ways and... um it always struck me how much God desired for Israel to live in the promised land, yet the only way to get there was through the desert. <laughs> and so to your point earlier, I don't know that it leaders can fully experience the, the other side, the promised land, without having to go through the desert, because I don't think God allows you to get there by going around it or going over it. I think you have to go through it. And I, and I think you have to know going into the desert that it's going to be a little bit of hard work and it may be uncomfortable, but on the other side, it's so worth it. Hmm. And I'm just barely beginning to experience that now. But to be honest, Carrie, I don't, you know, I, I don't mind sitting here airing some of my icky heart. Uh, you know, it doesn't, it's okay because we all have that in us. It's just a matter of, will we admit it or are we willing to dig deep enough to find it and, and, and invite engage other people to help us figure that out. Yeah. You know, that's been a huge part of the process. No, I think you're right. And the darkness does lose its power when it's exposed to light. Every and time. Just being able to talk about it and just being able to be honest about it. Yeah. You know, whether that's in a forum like this. And I mean, again, that's the thing I love about this podcast. This is just the stuff we would talk about if we were hanging out. If I was yep. in Atlanta right now, yep. we went for lunch. Exactly. This is our lunch conversation. This is what I think my favorite leaders do. This is what we talk about. And I think having conversations like this can just prevent so much unhealth. So, so you know, maybe even some falls down the road. Like if you're feeling this right now, pay attention. And you went and got help. This wasn't like, you know, you're reading your Bible one morning and all of a sudden the words started <laughs> dancing. It's like, Gavin, you're too competitive. It all no. goes back to when you were 14. How did you yeah. discover this? 
you know, I discovered it because I, I realized how emotionally tired I was and I kept having the word, um, you know, striving kept coming back to mind. And I'm like, man, I am, I'm constantly striving. What am I striving for? And gosh, as a leader, it's easy to rationalize all that, but we're also in our heart. I knew that my answers were, were not fully true. I knew that there was something still in there that, that wasn't really that pretty. Yeah. I, I really dug deep into that and began to think about what are the things that in my life, you know, I mean, I really carry, I began to think about the things where I felt alive as a kid and as a young adult, as a young leader, the things that I felt drained and the things that really bothered me. And I came across a laundry list of good and bad. And as I began to look at the bad and look at the good, they had one thing in common. And the one thing in common they had was winning and losing. Hmm. And I realized man, there is something to that, but I didn't know what it was exactly. And it really was through counseling and, you know, spending time with friends who, you know, who don't need me, you know, it's impossible to get really honest feedback from people who still need you. And so almost by that, you mean employees, dog, you know, it's like, I talked to so many leaders who say they, they go and find, you know, like I have people to talk to, who are they? Well, my wife and my dog, that doesn't count. Like, (laughs) You got to have people in your life who kind of can be on your life team. I think John Townsend and Henry Cloud call it that, you know, who can be on your life team or maybe your personal advisory, you know, team. But there are people who can who can be very, very honest with you and don't need you. Right. They're not paying you. They're not like you don't report to them. They don't report to you. No, but they genuinely care about you and love you and want the best for you. And I had some people who asked me some really, really hard questions the first week of my sabbatical and. I spent a lot of time in quiet thinking about those questions and, um, and you know, I think the Holy spirit led me to piece some things together, but it took a lot of time and it took a lot of people to help me do it. I mean, this was not me in a cave by myself for sure. You know, it's interesting when you were saying it came down to striving, you know, you had all these answers you had manufactured, but when you really looked at it, honestly, at this stage in your life, it's kind of like striving. You reminded me, you know, I I went to law school and and, uh, was in law for a year in downtown Mm -hmm. Toronto. And it's funny, I remember I was dating somebody who was not a Christian prior to meeting my wife. And I knew that was wrong, but like, I just wasn't attracted to Christian girls. So, you know, what are you going to do? So that was wrong. But like she asked me one day, she says, why do you want to go to law school? This was like when I was still under undergrad. And I knew I had no good answer to that. And so I told her the, the most bogus answer I could come up with. I just said, I want to help people. Now, that wasn't true at all. But, you know, I'm sure law does help people. My wife is a lawyer and she does actually help people. But I met her in law school and she's a Christian, which was awesome. But like, you know, I'm like, that was such a bogus answer. And I still remember saying it and remembering I didn't even believe it, but like I'd never asked myself the question. On the other hand, when you look at God's, you know, because a very simplistic analysis of what we have talked about so far, Gavin, would be to say, well, everything you did prior to this is bad. Now the good is going to come. I don't believe that because you know what? I use my law all the time, and I am so thankful for the opportunity to go to law school. It was probably God who put that desire in my heart. Mm -hmm. The fact that I had no good answer to that when I was 21 or 22 didn't really matter. Like God's redemptive hand in the midst of all of this and his weaving in the midst of all of this. So if you're like, oh, gosh, you know, I've completely blown it, and I got to, you know, thank goodness in your case and by the grace of God in mine, you know, it didn't get to the point where the emotional pain led us to do something that might be disqualifying us from ministry other than everyday sin, you know, but he, he uses that and he's been around. And so right. I, just, I just want to say that by way of encouragement. But what's really cool is when you bring the darkness to light, God goes, ah, now that that's out in the open, let's have a conversation about it and let's see what we can do next. Hey, like you've always yeah. been a great communicator. You've always been a great thinker. You've, you, you have proven yourself to be a great leader of organizations. But what is he going to do with that leadership? And what's he going to do with that communication gift now that, you know, it's seen a little more light and perhaps a little more of Jesus' redemptive touch? Well, I, my, my suspicion is a lot because I already feel a lot of that carry. The other side of it though, is I feel like in spite of me, God has uh, allowed our church and allowed a lot of really good things to happen, Hmm. but it was, it was kind of like through me, but not always in me. Yeah. 
And I, I feel like there's about to be some things in me set free that not only will position maybe me as a leader in our church and some of those things for uh, a brighter, better you know, future in our mission, but will allow me to experience it in a way that will be so new and so fresh and so fulfilling. I mean, Carrie, I remember the very first time I preached at North Point and I thought um, as a pastor, I thought, oh my gosh, this is like the pinnacle of preaching. And I mean, I'm sure it's not, but in my mind, it certainly was. <laughs> well, in a lot of people's minds, so, I think it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I remember thinking if that ever happens. And so, um, you know, I don't know, five and a half, five, I don't know, years ago, something like that. I, I had an opportunity to do it. And I remember being so excited, so nervous, uh, I knew Andy was going to listen to the message. You know, they handed me a mic pack for the day and it has his name on it. And I yeah. thought, oh my gosh, like you couldn't even put my name on it. Like I don't need to be reminded that this is not my stage. So uh, I remember though, when it was over being so grateful for the opportunity and, and feeling so fulfilled for maybe two hours yeah. and thinking, well, maybe if I could do it again, or maybe if, and I realized even, you know, Carrie, we talked about like, how do you diagnose or how do you think mm-hmm. about, and I began to think about those kind of moments, realizing that, you know, if none of that stuff was really fulfilling and none of that stuff really had a lasting fulfillment to it, maybe there's something wrong with me. Like, yeah, maybe I'm not experiencing some of the things that Paul talked about in freedom and, you know, this whole in Christ thing, like, what is that really, uh, and I think on the surface, a lot of us could say, yeah, we've experienced that. But I, I just knew in my heart there was something deeper going on that had to be unearthed. And so, you know, it's been fascinating. So here we are. I'm getting ready to preach again this weekend. We talked about that earlier. Uh, I don't really know what to expect, but it's going to feel a little bit different. And I'm really hmm. optimistically excited about, about it. Well, and I think awareness is a huge part of it. Sometimes I wonder, Gavin, if we don't 100% know what drives us, it's very difficult to surrender yes. something you don't understand. Yes. And I mean, right. I, think, yeah. I think with you, and I hope this has been true with me, it's never been malicious. It's never oh. been like, God, you know, you, you don't get in here, leave me alone. It's just like, if you don't know about it, you can't surrender it. If, you, yeah. if you're unaware, like if you've got ungrieved losses or that competitive thing, and it goes back to basketball when you were 14, and you don't fully understand it, it's really hard to like, you know, it's really, it boils down to self-awareness. Like when you're yes. aware of it, then you're kind of like, oh Lord, but then you have a choice. You submit it and surrender it or you bury it and mask it or, you know, right. falsely medicate it. So I think that's huge. And I, I honestly, I think you're speaking to every leader who's kind of, and I would just encourage leaders, you know, who are listening right now going, huh, I wonder if it's me. And I, I would just say, I spent a lot of my first decade of leadership very uncomfortable around conversations like this or thinking, hey, that doesn't apply to me or hey, leave me alone or can we switch the subject, get on to the really good stuff. Right. But I think that was just either the enemy or a deep fear inside that kind of is like, don't go there, don't go there, don't touch that. And I'm so glad because I'm not sure I'd be in ministry today if, you know, God didn't open up that box and... Uh, I would certainly have a much less happy marriage <laughs> today yeah, no question. Than, than otherwise. No question. I mean, it leaks into your whole life. Absolutely, it well, does. And thank you for I, sharing I mean, that. Well, sure, but carry at the core of the gospel, right? I mean, come on. Like, yeah. isn't the whole thing about you are messed up and you need some redemption? It's like... <laughs> I think so. And it's, it's not so, a one-time thing, is it? It's no, not like, it's well, I went down the aisle and I gave my life to Christ and I cried yeah. enough and now yeah. it's done. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, it's just a, it's a really fun place of rest and freedom that is just a little bit different and new. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm really grateful. I'm glad we get to chat about it. It's perfect timing, you know, right here at the end of my month to, to even have this conversation, you know, I don't, I don't have enough clarity to be helpful. Probably. I just know that. No, I think I'm, it's been tremendously helpful. So. Well, Gavin, you know, in, with all this, and this is a great context, I do want to ask you a few questions in the remaining time, just yeah. about this incredible journey. God has brought you on. And, you know, maybe, maybe this is another way of like, people are like, when am I ready for ministry? Probably there are some leaders listening right now who are like, am I called to this or not? Yeah. And I always thought this idea that you kind of had to be processed first and then you were made pure and then God would use you. But like, you know, obviously I think there's minimum threshold requirements required, right? right? You need a minimum viable product. Absolutely. I was probably I was probably just a minimum viable product. Maybe oh. I'm still a minimum viable product. But 
you know, it's this idea that God still uses you and he's used you spectacularly over the years. And, you know, people are going to be in heaven because of that. And what's fascinating is you inherited a church or became the lead pastor of a church that I remember because I knew this church long before you led it. And it had been stuck for a great number of years. Tell us a little bit about that context. Yeah, sure. So um, it was called Watermark Church at the time. It's, we, we've now changed the name to Woodstock City Church. And mm-hmm. um, so Watermark Church was, um, I was the third lead pastor in the first, uh, I guess, three and a half years of its existence. So I came in with a lot of turmoil and um, a lot of uh, change that needed to be made um, in every facet of the word change. And so I, I had led in the marketplace, though, for a, a good while. So I, I felt like I had a little bit of an understanding of change management and dealing with P&Ls and things like that. But, you know, within the church context and even specifically within a pastoral context, that was kind of newer for me. And I had to figure that out. Um, and a it lot was of your first though. stint as a lead pastor, was it not? It was, yeah. I, yeah. I had... I had left the marketplace to help uh, start a church, and I actually worked in student ministry um, during that season. And then out of that, kind of oversaw family ministry, so birth through high school and, and was, you know, got to be on the leadership team. So I got to watch the lead pastor of a church do it really well and learn from him. And so when this opportunity came up, you know, three and a half years in um, of, uh, of at least my transition out of the marketplace, um, I didn't feel prepared, but I felt like I knew enough to be dangerous in a weird way. Um, so uh, in November of 2008, I actually took over uh, as lead pastor of Watermark Church. I remember that day. It was it's easy to remember. We had 400 people and $400 in the bank. So I, uh, <laughs> I I remember vividly that day standing up thinking, if I could just get everybody to give a dollar, we'll double our bank account, So, um, which is a pretty scary thought. Yeah, there's but, that competitive streak too, right? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. All yeah totally. Yeah. God still redeemed it. So, um, but, but it was a really... It was a really interesting opportunity and one that um, I wasn't sure I was qualified. In fact, I knew I wasn't qualified, but... I also knew that what we were, had experienced in this other church and what we had helped create in this community, if that was possible in this other community, an hour and 15 or so minutes north of, in, in Atlanta, North Atlanta, if that was possible, then gosh, if God could help make that happen and, and we could be a part of it, we, we should. And so, um, yeah, so seven and a half years ago, we, we came up um, to make that transition. And it, it, it was tough sledding early on. I mean, there... Mm. There was so much to deal with and, and, and staffing changes and, you know, having to let people go. And um, now granted, we had no money. So, I mean, the, it wasn't that difficult, honestly. <laughs> it was painful. But, you know, when you sit down with somebody and go, hey, you're going to have to volunteer because I can't pay you. I mean, it, it makes it a little bit easier. But, um, you know, we, we just had so much to, to, to figure out. But um, it was so much fun, too. It was so much fun figuring it out and watching God take a church, honestly, that really was primed to be great, I think. Um, and they just needed someone to stand up and say, hey, let's go be great. And so that that's kind of what I got to come do early on. Isn't that interesting? Just for leaders who are interested, the church you were a part of before? Yeah. Uh, Southside Church, right? Yes. Southside Chris Church. Patton, Chris Patton. Our yes. good friend, Chris great, Patton, who's an incredible friend. leader. Yes. Really, really gifted guy. And has produced just a ton of People yeah. who went on to lead things. Yeah, very which much. Is the so. hallmark of a great leader. Yes. Um, so okay. staffing, that one's hard. Like it's difficult to walk in and go, you don't have a job anymore. Yeah. How did you handle that? Well, as delicately as I could, but at the same time, I knew that, um, you know, what really carried led me out of the marketplace um, in the end, outside of just a deep passion and love for the local church. But I just kind of fell in love with the idea that the church was the most important organization on the planet. And if anybody was going to be great, it better be us because no one has a mission as important as us. And Mm so that was my marketplace, you know, speak, but coming out, but I am. So when I walked into Watermark church, I knew that we had the potential to be a really, really great church. And there was no better time than now than start making, you know, headway towards that. And so a part of it was, you know, having to remove some staff and, 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 and move some things around um, organizationally, now, again, I couldn't pay some of these people anyway, so it had to be done. But at the same time, I knew that where we were going to be going as a church, 
the players that we had weren't all going to be good fits to run the new playbook. And right. so they had produced the results of being stuck at that, 400, that, which is not a bad place to be stuck at. No, no, no. But we, because of our location and proximity in Atlanta, there's a lot of reasonings that, that, that we knew that, that it could be, um, it could be, it could be bigger um, and we could reach more people. And, and we felt compelled to, to do that. Um, and so, we had to make some changes and, um, those are, those are difficult to make because you're talking about people and families and things like that. But at the same time, Carrie, and, and I'm sure a lot of our leaders know this, not all, but you know, the minute that I, the minute that we knew as a leader, the minute that we know that, that someone really isn't going to be a long-term solution, it just feels unfair to them and unfair to the organization and really unfair to the other staff to keep them. Yeah. And so, you know, once once I felt like I had done everything I could to help grow a person or uh, see if they could evolve into the type of leader that we were going to be required to have, you know, once I knew that 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 wasn't really going to happen, I, you know, I, I, we had to make a decision in all integrity. We had to make those decisions, and um, and it didn't even really mean necessarily that they were bad people. It just meant that they were different kinds of people than we needed for what we were doing. Did you get resistance when you uh, made yeah. those changes? I did. Um, I did. I, I had to make a few of those changes in the first couple of weeks. Um, I waited a, a year on another change because I really wanted to do everything I could to make sure that that this person in particular couldn't migrate into the kind of leader that we really were going to need mm-hmm. at 800 people, not 400 people, right? Because we lead differently as the church grows. And um, But once I realized that couldn't happen, I knew that we had to make hard decisions with that person. And so and that happened several times. Um, and in fact, I mean, Carrie, it's, it's continued to happen some. Uh, I've, I've had to let, um, you know, make, make some staffing changes in the last six months. And um, as we move, we just moved into our first permanent building and experienced more growth. And, um, you know, the, the paradigm of leadership was changing again. And it required some different kinds of, of leading. And it didn't mean that the, the other people were good, bad. It just meant that it was different. And um, it required some different things. And so... You know, if you lead people, it's never going to be stagnant, right, Carrie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's we're, for sure, Gavin. We're constantly going to have to be making evaluations and, and doing all we can as leaders to grow leaders and at the same time um, move move to the most healthy you know, possible right. version of our church that we can. So. Well, and the change has been exponential. I mean, you've moved from 400 to how many people attend today on um, the other side of your new building? Yeah, well, we're about to hit another little peak moment. We've been in the Summer Valley, right? So. Wow. Um, um, you know, I suspect we're going to average uh, here um, as school starts back for us. Um, we'll probably average eight to eight, maybe eight thousand five hundred people. That's a lot of people, man. Yeah, it is, and and we feel we just are so grateful that we get to be a part of, you know, being that kind of church in our community. It's a it's just a huge blessing for us to do that. So, so that's twenty x growth is is my <laughs> math right in yeah in yeah eight years which seven partially years. explains the sabbatical I took after exactly. seven exactly yeah. yeah. After seven and a half years, and you know what? I mean, and I don't know that I fully appreciated this until this month, but um, that seven and a half years also required me to grow a lot. Like well, that it was wasn't my next like, question. Just, How do yeah, you grow? Because yeah, I'm not. I just, mean, you're not the same leader you were. And <laughs> and interestingly enough, this whole you know first half hour or whatever of the podcast that yeah. we talked about unscripted. I think is part of God's preparation of you for whatever is next, whatever that looks I, like. Right. I it's think like, so too. I, I don't know how effective I could be long-term um, with a church of our structure and, and size um, without having more emotional health and at least understanding my, my, you know, interpersonal, you know, struggles a little more. I think it's impossible. Sure, sure. So that's been a huge part of my growth curve as a leader. I mean, I didn't just have to grow as a pastor. I've had to grow personally. I've had to grow relationally. I've had to, I've had to learn when to be really kind of hard driving and when to let up and when to pace it. I mean, pacing is so important. Um, mm-hmm. We took six weeks off as a church completely when we were moving from portable to permanent. And, um, I mean, that seems insane to take six months off, but I've encouraged at least a dozen churches since then to do it. And after and after we talked through the ramification, it, it it was such an aha moment for some of the guys because the pacing of it was so critical, not just to move in, but to move in healthy, and because everybody can run on adrenaline for a season, right? But yeah, what's going to happen? You know, we moved in mid February. What's going to happen mid uh, April? You know, that that's a little more critical than mid February. So you took six weeks off or six months? Six weeks off. Six weeks, wow. As a church, yep. Six weeks off as a church. Ironically, our giving really didn't change at all. Uh, 
And um, in fact, we, we jokingly said, gosh, but this may be our new model. Let's just not even have church. Our giving keeps going. I mean, this is great. So um, really low expenses. But um, <laughs> so uh, but but yeah, it, it gave our staff a chance to um, move in. Now, granted, we're I mean, you know, we're, we were a big church. We had about 5000 people uh, in the portable facility. So wow. moving in, you know, we weren't moving a small thing. It, it, so taking six weeks was important because we had a lot to move in. I mean, we had to move sofas and furnitures into 45 small group rooms for students. And so, yeah. I mean, it was a lot of work, but you know what? Strategically, it also gave us a chance to engage our insiders in a really fun way that moved them even from feeling excited about our new building to walking out being raving fans and to a point they couldn't wait to invite all of their unchurched friends because they were a part of not just funding it. They were a part of literally putting it together. Yep. And so we orchestrated four Sundays in a row of, of uh, opportunities for our insiders to come and be a part of it. And it was so much fun and rewarding for them. So, I mean, it wasn't just six weeks off, but it mm-hmm. was it was a very strategic six, six weeks, weeks of pre- I, preparation. Yeah. And I think it led us not just to um, to move in at a pace that was sustainable. I think it actually helped us build momentum. Sure, because, you know, scarcity drives value. Absolutely. Absolutely. So something we love isn't here, and so we can't wait for it to come back. Yeah, and then we got to go see it from the inside and got to be Mm -hmm. a part of building it, which makes me more excited about it. So. I mean, it. we opened up um, with a lot of people, obviously. We settled back, but not a lot. Um, and I, And really, maybe the most exciting thing for us is that the new people who came, came from the sofa. They didn't come from other churches. Love it. And because our church was so excited about inviting all of their friends. And of course, a new facility gave them the perfect invitation. I mean, it was better than Christmas or Easter. Hmm. Um, you know, it it, it was this brand new thing that they had watched, you know, under construction for a year and they wanted to come see it too. So I haven't it, been, but the word is it's, it's a fantastic facility, but let's, let's go back a little bit to, yeah. you know, let's assume God is growing you right now. I think that's exactly what he's doing. He's going, yes. and you know, thank goodness he has your attention and you're sure. leaning in the right direction. In the time that we've got left, talk about two or three changes that you had to undergo as a leader okay. that really helped you adapt to moving from 400 to 800 to 1,000 to 5,000 to now 8,000. And yeah. by the way, we will link in these show notes to the podcast that Andy Stanley did with you. Was it a two-parter on delegation? Yeah, we, yeah, we, we yeah, it ended up being two parts on delegation, yeah. It was so good. I remember that came out, what, a year or two ago? It was so uh, good. I can't, I think it was last summer, Carrie. Okay, I remember. we'll um, link to it in the show notes, ago. but you should honestly, like, I won't ask you to repeat all that stuff, but Andy yeah, drilled sure. down on, on it yeah. with you in such a capable way. And if you want to figure out how to delegate, you were in the middle of your building process project then and you were using a lot of fresh examples. I remember right. listening to it when it came out. So we will link to that if you want to go deeper. Um, we'll link to those episodes on Andy's podcast in yeah, sure. our show notes. But tell us like the two or three things that you really had to change the most over these last seven years for you to grow as your church has grown. Yeah, that's really great. I, um, you know, obviously the delegation piece was huge because I came in day one and had to kind of take over everything and then slowly release it. So that that was one. And again, there's a lot more uh, on that. Um, I, a couple of other things. One, for me as a leader, I had to learn. I had to learn when, when to be kind of omnipresent and when to take a back seat. Hmm. My tendency was, and up front, it was a smart tendency because um, me coming in, we had really suffered through abdication of leadership for a while. Okay. So it was really healthy for me to walk in day one and kind of be a little omnipresent and allow people to know that there is a leader here. We think he can be trusted, but we're just grateful to know there's somebody driving the ship. Like Hmm. that's that for me, that for our church was really, really healthy for them to know that there was somebody paying attention every day to where we were going and who we were trying to become. So that was a big part. But I also had to learn um, as we grew when to kind of back off of that a little bit and let other people be that face, allow them to be that driving force. Um, I mean, Carrie, a great example. We, we changed the name of our church, you know, with 5,000 people, right? So that's a little weird. But yeah. my instinct at first was, well, I should be the one announcing it to everybody. This is a really important deal. Uh-huh. 
Well, my leadership team kind of sat down one day and said, you know what? We think that we should announce it to our individual volunteer teams first, not you. And I thought, no, 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 I'm the point leader. You guys are great, but you work for me. And this is, an, this is a church-wide decision. I right. should be the one. And they all said, what if we did it? And, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's so much smarter. Let's, you guys are the, you guys have so much trust with your volunteer teams. Why would I ever want to usurp that and not leverage that? So it's just, it's, it's learning when to leverage that point leadership voice and when to leverage it through others and when to just allow them to run free with it. That's a big learning for me. Cause as we grew, you know, it changed dramatically. Um, Obviously, the energy management and time management, carry. I mean, yeah. you know, that looks dramatically different today. I mean, I used to meet with anybody who would be willing to meet with me. Now, yeah. um, we have to be we have to be so strategic and 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 meeting times. And I hate that. I, I I wish that you know we didn't have to be, but you know, we all know that at some point, meeting with everybody would cease to allow you to do the things that are most important, you know, and yep. you had to shift that around a lot and, and learn what that was going to look like. Um, let's, let's break that down because that's yeah. been a big part of my journey too, even as we've grown, not as, you know, large as you have, but we're cresting well yeah. over a thousand on a regular yeah. basis. So it's the same principles. Like principles the same. you just, you know, and, and you've said this is a consistent theme. So when you took over, which yeah. I agree with, I did the same thing when I took over at our church, kind of you grab everything back. Yes, And you just kind of like, hey, I got to look at this. I got to do this for a while. And then you hand it away, sometimes to the same people, sometimes to new yeah. people, yep. right? But so you're a high access person. How did you navigate that? How did you decide who you're going to meet with and who you weren't? Yeah, that, that it, it, I decided over time. I wish somebody could have coached me better through it. I don't really know. It's painful. Uh, I'm it is familiar. painful. So I, I kind of got to a place where I realized that the most senior volunteers are important for me to be connected to because they're connecting to all of our other volunteer populations. So our staff obviously is important. Our, our, our most senior volunteers were, were critical. And then I almost skipped everybody in the middle and, and, and decided I would still meet with people who were skeptical of God, skeptical of the church or seeking right. something. Okay. And I thought I want to connect with atheists and I want to connect with the super Christians who are making this place go. Mm-hmm. And everybody else in between, we'll figure we'll figure it out for them. But it's probably not going to be me. Like it's 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 just probably not going to work. Right. But I also found so many little spots that that made it easy to connect with people. So, for instance, I, I have my assistant now. When people ask, "Hey, can I buy Gavin lunch?" Well, the reality is that they probably don't even need to talk to me. They probably need to talk to somebody else on our team, but they don't right. know that. So we try to figure out what they really want first, so we can point them to the right person and not waste their time. So we've just become way more strategic at kind of leveraging the the existing gaps in our calendars. For me, Sunday has a lot of gaps in it. Yeah. And so it's it's easy for me um, before or after a service to just hang out in the green room with the production team and the band or um, to, to, to not be as available as I could be, or even to be available, but not to be strategically available. Right. So, so there are those moments where, you know, my assistant now, if somebody has a 10 minute, you know, question, let's just do it after the service. You know, gotcha. I'm right down front. Let's just schedule it. So, so do you meet with anybody who asks everybody who asks, or do you have a I, filter? Well, th- my assistant probably would be the best person to ask. Cause I don't even know how many people ask anymore, but yeah. But definitely not everybody. Um, It's probably a pretty small portion at this point of the people who ask. But what we do is find out – and the reality, Carrie, is that most people who want to meet with me either want to meet with me for not a really healthy reason because they just want to be connected to the pastor or the leader. That's not really that great. And then the other group – actually doesn't necessarily need to meet with me. They just think that I'm the person they should meet with. So, you know, we try to find out what they want and what, right. what they're kind of seeking because we can point them in a much better direction initially, uh, typically. Anyway. A lot of the time it's, you should meet with your small group leader. That's, That's right. Scale yeah. this, right. Or meet with someone on our care team or meet, yeah. you know, and so, um, and we've tried to even build our church around some of that to answer some of those questions. So we have a place for people to go on Sunday who have questions or just want to talk with someone. You know, we have a dedicated space for that. So um, we've in some way usurped some of the problem anyway. So how much of your week is now spent in meetings? Do you spend 
too it much? It feels like hundred percent. I'm sure that's yeah. not true. You know, because, because of we were multi-site and, um, you know, as you know, Carrie, I, I have multi-site responsibility and leadership kind of team stuff. So, you know, I'm usually one day a week working on North Point multi-site meetings, um, uh, at least another full day a week working on local leadership team and staff kind right. of type uh, meetings. Um, I try to carve out the one full day a week of negative space just to think. Love it. And ideating. And that's not even communicating. It's not because you're trying to preach because Andy does what? Two thirds of the preaching at North Point. Yeah. Yep. About two thirds is going to be um, uh, from Andy. So no, but for me, it's um, there's still, well, there's, there's, there's so many other communication um, needs that I still fill. However, um, you know, I'm still kind of the prime, the primary ideator uh, and creator Mm. uh, on, on the campus. And that's one of the jobs that I feel like God has kind of positioned me to fill. And so, you know, as you know, and I'm sure a lot of in the leaders listening know, you know, negative space is so important for that creative endeavor. And so yep. I, I try to white space. Take, you call it negative space. but I do. And and I'm an artist at heart. Uh, as a kid, I, I was an artist. And, you know, negative space is a little bit of an art term. But, you know, the positive space is, is, is the art itself. But the negative space is what surrounds the art. And honestly, the negative space is what makes the art beautiful in most cases. And so That's cool. For me, it's taking the difference between positive space and negative space or, or, or productive space and thinking space, you know, and so finding margin in my week to just think and not even necessarily to have an agenda all the time, just to think or process what I've been reading lately or, or what have you. So I've tried my best to create at least a half if not a full day of that in the week. Um, doesn't happen every but um, as much as I can. No, and that's critical. And I don't think, you know, that's sort of like the work on it, work in it space that I'll often talk about. And it's so critical because if you only work in it, that's a maintenance, that's a management mentality. It's not a leadership posture. Any other ways you've really had to scale? Because this is is just fantastic. Well, scaling is so... It is such a fascinating and in some ways unique experience, right? Every yeah. leader has different passions and abilities, so the scaling looks a little different. I mean, for me, I knew going in that, um, you know, um, ultimately the care kind of conversations, God had not built me to be a great counselor or a care provider. So I, I hired people around me who could be really good at that. Um, I knew in our scaling for leadership team and, and things like that. I needed, you know, I, I, I was good on the strategy side, although, um, I needed people to help make sure that, um, I wasn't just off the rails strategically, but right. I need people who could help me think through how things were going to feel, how, how new decisions were going to be responded to by our staff. So I've got a couple of guys who are very connected to me through our leadership team who are really great feelers. And I come to them constantly and go, Hey, here's what I'm thinking about doing. How does that make you feel? Because honestly, I don't feel anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you know, how, 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 how is the staff going to respond to this? How, how is our church going to feel about this? I do that with my messages all the time. I, there's a couple of people I'll go to and go, hey, here's what I want to communicate. I want you to just read it. How does it feel? It's good. And, 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 you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's gold because I never would have felt that. So, so then again, that's self-awareness and openness. Yeah, it is. Yeah, EQ, right? It may be the most important thing for leadership. So, um so the scalability of knowing what I was good at, what I was not good at, and being okay, not knowing, you know, not, not being good at that stuff right. and owning that and surrounding myself as much as I could with people who, who were qualified to be good at it. Because, you know, the scalability, I can only scale so much and I can only do so much. And so, yeah. um, and, and God hadn't built me to do any of it in totality. So that for me was a, a, a really important part. And, and Carrie, if I could, one more thing on scalability. Yeah. I made some mistakes early on in this. I um, There was so much to get done because we were growing so fast. Mm-hmm. We needed people who could just get stuff done. And so I hired some people who are great executors. Yeah. Weren't necessarily great leaders. And then, and it worked for that moment, but then we kept growing. And unfortunately, the executors who weren't leaders weren't able to keep up with the growing organization. And it put me in a position where I had to make some really hard decisions on people that I hired. <laughs> and, and I hated having to do that, but I realized in hindsight that if I would have hired leaders in the beginning, they would have found a way to get things done because leaders solve those kinds of problems. Right. And so for me moving forward to make sure that we could continue to scale I have done everything possible to hire the highest level leaders I could possibly find because I knew that if they're leaders, they'll figure out ways to get things done. If 
they're doers. They'll get things done, but they may not be able to lead as we continue to scale up. Right. So I made that mistake a few times, unfortunately, but I learned a lot from it. So help me understand, what is the difference between a leader and an executor in your mind, Gavin? Yeah, that's good. They, they may feel subtle to me. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> drawn up any papers on this or content yet, so I'm not really sure. Maybe I should. That's good. Or I'll find somebody smarter than me like <laughs> you. Um, I doubt that. When I think of a leader and a doer, I think about someone who is kind of like a leader and a manager. I think of someone who is able to take direction and execute the playbook and probably do it with a pretty high level of excellence to be able to walk in and help design the playbook. Mm-hmm. And make sure that the playbook gets run. You know, leaders do a great job of creating a level of chaos. Um, executors or managers do a great job of, of ordering the chaos that gets created by leaders. Yeah. And, and we need some of those around. I mean, we certainly do. I need them around. I'm, I need some people who can be doers. But early on, I felt like I hired a few too many make Sunday happen people. Right. Here's and the playbook running. That's right. And not enough um, let's design the playbook together, people. So good. And so, Carrie, what happened is um, I ended up kind of pigeonholing myself, unfortunately, into the position of being the only person who was designing the playbook. Yep. And I'm not good enough to do that by myself. Hmm. I needed a leaders around me to help do that. Um, and so I realized that, oh, my gosh, if I can surround myself with great leaders, they can help me strategically lead really well and they're going to be able to solicit volunteer leadership or even eventually maybe other staff leaders. But for us in the beginning, we didn't, we had seven staff members or six staff members. So we didn't, we didn't have a bunch of people around us. We had to, you know, leverage volunteer teams for everything. That's so good. You know, those great leaders and inspire them and, and, and uh, equip them to get a lot done. And they were willing to do it. You know, it's so fascinating. I was so scared early on with volunteers that I was going to burn them out and they were going to run away so I tried to you know, handle them so carefully, like with kid gloves on. What I realized is that burnout for a volunteer is certainly possible, but most of my volunteers craved more responsibility. Hmm. And as long as I could connect the dots between what they were doing and how it was fulfilling our mission, they were more than willing to do it. Yep. But, but I needed your job leaders as a leader. to help scale that. I had to have leaders yeah. to help me scale that because I, I couldn't scale it by myself. And so my executors on staff weren't able to inspire and develop the volunteer leaders to do it. So when I, when I began to, to, to have an influx of great staff leaders, they really upped the, the ante and were able to get all of these volunteer teams really humming and really running the system well but because they were inspirational leaders. That's great. Gavin, there's been so much, man. This has been a long, uh, mostly, you know, spontaneous conversation that I know has helped so, so many people. This has been amazing. I can't thank you enough. Hey, people are going to want to know more about Woodstock City Church and also about yourself. Can you tell us where to find you online? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, our website is woodstockcity.org. That, that'll take you to everything that we're doing here locally um, in Woodstock City, Georgia. And I, I have a personal site, uh, gavinadams.com, as you were teasing me earlier. I don't do much with it lately. I actually, I actually took a year off from even writing and doing content on that. It was a sabbatical. Well, it was a year-long sabbatical, and uh, I'm going to call it that. It sounds better than just just being di distracted by building a church and moving <laughs> to a facility. <laughs> so, um, but now that a lot of that is done behind me, I'm, I'm getting ready to jump back on. Well, and you have a great archive. I mean, you've written some well, amazing stuff, and you should you should go and check it. All that stuff's still up, right? GavinAdams.com. GavinAdams.com, and you can contact. Uh, there's contacts up in there too. I, I one of the luxuries um, as a campus pastor in a way too. I I, I have Sundays available to spend with other churches and, and preach and, and, and just work with leadership teams and all that. So I have some content on there too for that. It's a, a huge part of what I love to do uh, and just stewarding the experiences that I feel like God's allowed us to have. So, Gavin, this has been uh, one more reminder to me why we do this podcast. Thank you so, so much. You, it's been a, an incredible encouragement to me. So appreciate you, your friendship, your leadership, and just thanks for your transparency today. Well, of course, I feel the same way about you, Carrie. Thanks so much. 
What an authentic conversation, man. Gavin, thank you so much for your transparency and your honesty. And thank you for listening. You can get a lot more in the show notes at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 103. All the links are there. Hey, if this was a good episode for you, would you do me a favor? Would you share it? Would you just tell somebody, maybe email it to them or, or, you know, put the link on social media? That would be great. And if you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast, just do it. Hit the big old subscribe button and all these things get automatically delivered into your inbox every Tuesday. How about that? And actually, we've got a special week coming up in September where I'm going to do a podcast every day answering your questions. So if you have questions that you want to be answered, just go to kerryneuhoff.com, click on the Got a Question tab, and leave me a voicemail. I'm going to be recording those over the next few weeks, and uh, can't wait to answer your questions. Thanks so much, everybody. We are back next Tuesday with a fresh episode as I sit down and have a conversation with the one and only Casey Graham. Um, man, this, I'm, I'm going to tell you what it's about next week, but I found some interesting correlations and I wanted to test them out on him. And I know it'll rattle some cages, but man, we had so much fun having this conversation and I learned a ton about leading in the church and leading myself. And I think you will too. So that's next Tuesday with Casey Graham. Man, thanks so much for listening. I really hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.